You know, sometimes we come to church and maybe we felt like we had to go or somebody pressured us into going. And I remember the story I heard about this man and woman and she loved to go to church and loved the Lord. And, and she went every Sunday. Her husband went sometime, but not always. And he never liked to go and didn't like the church, didn't like the preaching, didn't like the music, didn't like anything. And one Sunday morning when she woke up, she was sick. And so she said to him, she said, I can't go to church today. I'm just sick. Well, he, he was sorry she was sick, but he thought, well, at least I'll get a pass. You know, I don't have to go today. And she said, but you still have to go. He said, no, I want to stay home and take care of you. She said, you don't want to take care of me. You want to skip church. You got to go to church. And so he went to church, sat on the back row, kind of pouted through the whole service and just didn't enjoy it at all. And he got home and they were having lunch. And she said, well, what was the pastor's sermon about today? He said, well, he never did say. <laughs> and, you know, I think sometimes a preacher would do the congregation a favor if he would say what the sermon is about. And so today... I want to say what this one's about. It is about encouragement. In fact, the title of the sermon today is A Word of Encouragement. And late last week, as I was preparing for this morning, I was planning on going in a completely different direction. And I just felt God leading me to preach a sermon today about encouragement. And I think it's a timely sermon because so many people are discouraged. And it's understandable with what's going on in the world how we could be discouraged. If you're a Texas Longhorns fan, you're definitely discouraged today after that shellacking last night from Arkansas. But I think people are discouraged with, with everything that, that is happening in life. And we all know what we've been through for the last year and a half with the pandemic and then with the political unrest and then the situation across the world. And then we just saw the video on 9-11. And this past week, we've been watching that. We've been reliving that. And even last night, late, I was watching some of that on the news. And it, and it, and it's, it can just be, a dis it, it is discouraging to think about all the things that are going on in the world. And if we're not careful, we will only focus on the negative and the difficult and the hard, and it can discourage us. So that said, if you'll open your Bibles this morning to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number one, I am reading through this book in my daily Bible reading, chapter at a time. And a few days ago, I came across a verse in, in Deuteronomy chapter one that I never had paid any attention to before. But on this particular day when I read it, it caught my attention and it spoke to my heart. And it's got to do with this whole idea of encouragement and especially encouraging those who are discouraged. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter number one, here's the situation. The children of Israel have been wandering through the wilderness for about 40 years and they are getting very close to going into the promised land. But you remember Moses had committed a sin out there in the desert. God had told Moses there was an occasion where there was no water for the people to drink. And so Moses prayed and Moses said, God, we need water. And God said, okay, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk up to this particular rock and speak to the rock. And if you'll speak to the rock, water will come out. Well, Moses said to himself, if I speak to a rock, people are going to think I've lost my mind. And so I'm not going to do that. So instead of speaking to the rock, Moses went over and he hit the rock twice. And when he hit the rock, water came out. And Moses must have thought, well, it really didn't matter if I spoke to the rock or if I hit the rock. We needed water. Now we have water. What's the big deal? 
But after that experience, God said to Moses, Moses, you have dishonored me and disobeyed me in front of all the people. You're the leader and you have done the opposite of what I told you to do. And as a result of that, you are not going to be allowed to enter the promised land. And well, that broke Moses' heart. That had been his dream, his desire to make it into the promised land. Forty years he had been leading these Israelites across the desert. And now when they're this close, he blows it and God says, you can't go into the promised land. Well, Moses prayed about it, said, God, please reconsider. Please let me go into the promised land. And God finally said to Moses, Moses, speak to me no more on this matter. I've made my decision and you're not going in. Now, we read that and we may think, well, that seems harsh of God, that, that God would be that firm with Moses. Why couldn't he have just forgiven Moses? Why couldn't he have just let Moses into the promised land? Well, he did forgive Moses, but remember this, Moses was the giver of the law. And as the giver of the law, Moses had to model the law. And so when he broke the law in a public way in front of all the people, God said to him, in essence, Moses, I can't let you as the lawgiver break the law and then go on as though you hadn't broken the law. So again, we read that and we think, man, that's so hard. It seems harsh of God. But remember this in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 17, Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and he has this heavenly glow about him. He's up there with Peter and James and John and and he is literally transfigured and they're seeing Jesus in his heavenly glory. And we read that two people came down from heaven to join them on that mountain, Elijah and Moses. And every time I read that story, I'm reminded Moses could not enter the promised land as the lawgiver because he broke the law. But when we get to the New Testament, he got there by grace. Aren't you thankful today that we don't live under law, we live under grace? If we lived under law, once we blew it one time, God would be done with us. But since we live in the age of grace, we sin, we mess up, we repent, we confess that, we get on the right path, and God gives us a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth and an infinite number of chances. And yet, it doesn't change the fact that in Moses' day, as he thought about not being able to go into the promised land, it broke his heart. And so he had communicated this to Joshua. Joshua had been his assistant for all these years. Joshua was a godly man. And Moses said to Joshua, Joshua, I can't go into the promised land because I sinned. I blew it. I broke the law. But the people still need a leader. And so that now falls on you. You will be the one to lead the Israelites into the promised land land. Well, I'm sure Joshua had mixed feelings about that. On the one hand, he was honored to be the leader, but on the other hand, he was thinking, I'm going to miss Moses. We've been a team. We've been together for all these years, and now the burden of responsibility is off of him, and it is coming on to me. And so probably, I think it's safe to say that Joshua felt overwhelmed by the responsibility that had now come his way. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 1, God speaks to Moses, and God says to Moses, Moses, your time on earth is almost up, but what I want you to do is to prepare Joshua to lead the people into the promised land. And so in chapter number one, verse number 38, if you're a Bible underliner, this is one to underline. It says, Joshua, the son of Nun, 
who stands before you, he shall go in there. That is, he shall go into the promised land. Moses, you're not going in, but Joshua's going in. Now notice what the next sentence says. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Encourage Joshua. Now, why would God have told Moses to encourage Joshua? Well, probably because Joshua was discouraged. Or if he wasn't discouraged at this moment, God knew that when the full responsibility of being their leader came upon him, he could easily get discouraged. And so the word was encourage Joshua. Here's what I want you to see this morning. If Joshua needed encouragement, then we need encouragement. No one is immune from being discouraged. I don't care how much you love God. I don't care how strong your faith is. I don't care how long you've been saved. Nobody loved God more than Joshua. Do you remember back in the book of Numbers when Moses sent those 12 spies into the promised land and said, search it out and see what it looks like and come back and bring us a report. So these 12 men from the 12 different tribes of Israel went into the promised land. They surveyed it. They saw that it was a beautiful land a land flowing with milk and honey and all kind of wonderful fruit and food to eat and and rivers and streams and, and beautiful mountains. It was a beautiful land. But they also noticed in this land, this promised land, there were people living there who were bigger than they were, stronger than they were, and looked like giants in their eyes. And so after these 12 spies had surveyed the land, they came back to Moses and Moses said, what's it look like? What do you think about the promised land? Ten of the spies gave a very negative report. They said, oh, well, Moses, as you said, it is a beautiful land, but there are giants in that land. There's no way that we can possess that land and make it our own. Compared to them, we're like grasshoppers. But there were these two other men, Caleb and Joshua. And Caleb spoke up and Caleb said, well, that's true. There are giants in the land, but we are well able to overcome them. We can take this land. God has given it to us. And Joshua was right in there with Caleb. And so the minority report by Caleb and Joshua was so positive and so filled with faith and so strong. And yet a few chapters later, many years later, what do we find? We find this man, Joshua, who's strong in his faith, who said, we can do it. We can take, take down these giants. He's in a condition now where God says to Moses, you better encourage Joshua because this whole thing is beginning to weigh on him and it is beginning to wear him down. Let me show you another verse. In chapter one, go back to verse number two. Because this is interesting, and I've brought this out the last couple of Wednesday nights, but I want you to see it this morning. Chapter 1, verse 2 tells us that from the place where they were in, near Egypt to the promised land should have taken them 11 days. Look, it is 11 days' journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Now, we read these names, Horeb, Mount Seir, Kadesh Barnea. What is this? Horeb, or Mount Sinai, is the, mount, is the mountain of God. It is the place where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. We could say it this way. It's kind of where the journey into the promised land began. They had come out of Egypt, gone to that mountain. Moses got the commandments. And from that spot to Kadesh Barnea, which is on the southern tip of the promised land, it should have taken 11 days to get there. 11 days. And yet they disobeyed, they complained, they sinned, and what should have taken less than two weeks ends up taking 40 years. And so in this process of time, Joshua got discouraged. 
and it began to wear him down. Have you noticed in your life that discouragement happens gradually? Discouragement is one of those things that builds up. You, you can be living your life, everything's going fine, something bad happens, you probably handle that okay because everything else is going pretty well. But then you go on a little longer and something else bad happens and you handle that okay and, and, and you move right on and then you go out there a little bit longer and something else bad happens and then the longer you go and the more challenges you face and then especially if one or two of those is a major situation and it doesn't get quickly resolved, it just, you, you, you say, I've had this problem but, but the problem won't go away and it just day after day, week after week, year after year, you still are battling the same situation. That's why we read in Galatians chapter 6 in verse 9, let us not grow weary while doing good. Because weariness, discouragement, is something that happens gradually. It doesn't happen immediately. It happens over a process of time. And I think that's what had happened to Joshua. The 11-day trip has turned into 40 years and during the 40 years, he's grown weary and he's gotten discouraged. You know what the word discouragement literally means? Well, you can look at it in your mind and see the, the root of the word is the word courage, faith, confidence, but that prefix D-I-S negates that. So discouragement is when we have lost our courage, we've lost our confidence, we've lost our faith, and we've lost our enthusiasm. That's discouragement. Sometimes you'll be around somebody and normally they're upbeat and they're happy and they're vivacious and they're excited about, they're enthusiastic and you're around and they just seem the opposite. They're disheartened. What has happened? They have become discouraged. And what I'm saying is more than likely that discouragement happened gradually and that's what had happened with Joshua. Now, go back to the book of Numbers, chapter 27. I want to show you one verse. I just, I'm just trying to prove the point that anybody can get discouraged. I don't care how spiritually strong you are. You, can, you, you are not immune from discouragement. Someone has said, Numbers 27, by the way, someone has said that discouragement is the devil's chief weapon against Christians. If the devil can can take away your confidence and your enthusiasm and your faith and your courage, then he has you defeated. Numbers 27, look at verse 18, because here we read that God is talking again to Moses about Joshua, but notice how God described Joshua. And the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you. Now watch this description. A man in whom is the Spirit. In other words, God said of Moses, of, of Joshua, this man has my spirit on him and in him, a man in whom is the spirit. God said, lay your hand on him. And what he's saying is, anoint him, pray over him, set him apart. He is the one who will be the leader after you are gone. So Joshua was a man who was filled with the spirit. Let me say it this way. You still listen? Say amen. <laughs> you can be saved. You can be spirit-filled and you can be in the center of God's will and still get discouraged. Discouragement is not something that, you know, we think, well, if somebody's discouraged, that must mean they're out living in sin. Friend, Joshua wasn't living in sin. Joshua was living in the center of God's will. And yet, the overwhelming circumstances, 
the negative voices. You remember Joshua was still in the presence of some of these people who had said, we can't do it, we can't do it. The opposition is too great, we'll never make it. And after a while, negative voices can begin to have a negative effect on you. And I think that's one reason God put this message on my heart. There's so much negativity in the world today. And after a while, it can begin to wear us down. And then I think Joshua probably felt like, you know, I'm no Moses. I mean, Moses went up on the mountain with God. Moses got the Ten Commandments. Moses, God talks to Moses face to face. I mean, I'm no, I'm no Moses. And I think Joshua probably felt like, you know, he, he felt just an, an, an inferiority complex or he just felt an inadequacy. That's the word I'm looking for. He just didn't feel adequate to do what God was leading him to do. And have you noticed in your life when the demand on your time on your resources, on your strength, when the demand is greater than the supply. In other words, when what is expected of you is greater than your ability to perform, the demand is greater than the supply, that's when we get overwhelmed and that's when we get discouraged. And so I think God today looks on us. I, I was reading a verse last night in the Psalms and it's one of those verses that talks about God being our shepherd and it says, we are the people of his pasture and the sheep uh, under his hand or the sheep in his care. And I, I thought, you know, God is our shepherd and we are the sheep and God cares about the sheep. And I'll be honest with you, I really believe today that God's message for all of us is that he won't, he first of all understands how we could be discouraged. The last 20 years in our country have been unlike any 20-year period in, in the history of our nation. And, and God knows that it is enough to discourage the strongest among us. And so God says to us today, I understand how you could be encouraged, how you could be discouraged. It's, it's, it's human, it's natural, it's understandable, but I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be lifted up. And so that's why God put this message on my heart. Now, first thing I'm trying to say today is that no one is immune from discouragement. So today... If you're listening at home and you're, you're a little bit down, you've got the blahs and you're just disheartened, you're not yourself, you've lost your fire, you've lost your enthusiasm, or if you're like that in the room today, just understand that that's, that is perfectly normal. Do you know the most influential, I suppose the most influential preacher in the history of the world, with the exception of the Apostle Paul and, and Jesus himself, would be a man named Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon pastored Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England for many, many years. He, all of his sermons were printed and uh, had a remarkable, remarkable ministry. And yet Charles Spurgeon used to get so discouraged and even so depressed that he would have to leave London for months at a time to go to to go to France or to go to other places and try to get his spirits up, try to, try to, try to get his, his encouragement back, his, get his enthusiasm back. One time he got the deacons of the church together and he said to the deacons, he said, men, I'm having to be gone so much because I'm so overwhelmed, I'm so discouraged, I'm so depressed that you need a pastor stronger than I am. And so I'm saying to you today, I resign the church. And the deacon said back to him, Pastor Spurgeon, we would rather have you 
eight months out of the year than anybody else 12 months out of the year. We don't accept your resignation. You go to France or you go wherever you need to go and get, you know, get your strength back, but we don't accept your resignation. We want you under whatever terms we can have you. And so what I'm saying is Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher who's the most influential writer in the history of, of, of preachers except Paul and Jesus, he battled it. And so no one is immune from discouragement. I think I've made that point. Have I made it? Everybody's clear. Nobody's immune. Second thing I want to say about discouragement is, while it is true that no one is immune from discouragement, now think about this. This is kind of the other side of the coin. No one has to be discouraged. No one has to be discouraged. One of the pastors that has influenced my life since I was a child, and I've mentioned him countless times here, is Charles Stanley. I'm from, we're from Atlanta. He pastored for 50 years in Atlanta, and I grew up listening to Dr. Stanley. And Dr. Stanley has something that he, is one of the greatest sentences that I've ever heard. I wish that I had coined this sentence myself, and I wish I had put it on the screen for you this morning. But just listen to these words. Here's what Dr. Stanley says about discouragement. He says it this way, in life, disappointment is inevitable, but discouragement is a choice. I want you to think about that. Disappointment is inevitable, but discouragement is a choice. In other words, as you go through your life, things are going to happen. People are going to die. People are going to get sick. You may have your own issues in health or finances or whatever it is, Disappointments in life are inevitable, but discouragement is a choice. Now, this was on my mind yesterday evening. I thought, now I need to get that in the sermon tomorrow. Disappointments are inevitable. Discouragement is a choice. And I left my house about 7.30. I, I wanted to get something to eat really quick, and then I wanted to come back home and watch that Texas-Arkansas game on television. And so I, I went by Luby's through the drive-in. Well, the drive-in last night was not working right at Luby's, and I just could tell that was going to be a challenge. So I thought... Okay, I wanted to pick up some food, take it home, watch the game, and now I can't get what I wanted. And I thought, disappointments are inevitable. Discouragement is a choice. I'm not going to get discouraged. Jimmy Chonga's is right around the corner. <laughs> so I went to Jimmy Chonga's about 745, and I think the whole town of Pasadena, Deer Park, and LaPorte, everybody was at Jimmy. I thought, I'm going to miss the game, so I can't wait there. I, I'm just going to go home. And, and, but I kept telling myself, disappointments are inevitable. Discouragement is a choice. I said, I will not be discouraged because I've been disappointed. I got home. I looked in my house what I was going to eat. I got a thing of tuna fish, opened it up, put it on a plate, sat in the front of the TV. I took my first bite of tuna fish, and I thought, disappointments are inevitable. And <laughs> this is very disappointing. And then I thought, but discouragement is a choice. And by about my second or third bite, I made a decision to be discouraged. I'm going to tell you last night. <laughs> I said, this is the pits, man. I had my mind on that good fish at Luby's. And I was with the chicken enchiladas at Jimmy's. I'm eating tuna fish and, and townhouse crackers. What has my life come to? You know, so I got discouraged. But what I'm saying is in life, disappointments are inevitable, but discouragement is a choice. You don't have to be discouraged. When, discourage, when disappointing things happen to you, you have the ability to respond to that 
positively or negatively, with faith or without faith, in the spiritual or in the natural. And if we'll respond in the spiritual by trusting God, we will be better off. Now, I, I want to make three statements today. This is one of those sermons I just wish that we could stay together in here till about noon, but I know you would all be discouraged if we did that. So I want to make three statements, and I want to tell a story at the end that I think will kind of help really enforce the point I'm trying to make about discouragement, and, but God wants us to be encouraged. The three statements are three things that you and I need to say to ourselves when we experience disappointment and when we feel that discouragement setting in and we're losing our faith, we're losing our enthusiasm. That's one of the ways that you can always tell that you're getting discouraged. You lose your enthusiasm. And that's why, by the way, before I give you these three statements, that's why God says over and over and over again in the Bible, encourage one another. Encourage one another. One of the things about coming to church on Sunday, and one of the things that I know those who are not yet comfortable coming to church on Sunday have said to us that they're missing, even though, thank God for streaming, we have more people watching our services online, the church website, Facebook, and YouTube than we have in the room. And so this is a tremendous blessing. And yet I know that those who are watching at home today would agree with this statement. As thankful as we are for streaming, it's not the same as being in the room together because when we're together, we can encourage one another. Hebrews 10, 25, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. Coming to church is not all about, is the singing gonna be good and is the preaching gonna be anything, any good? No, well, that's, the singing's always good and the preaching ought to be good, but, but part of church is coming and being around and encouraging one another. And so that's, that's something that's very important. Now, I wanna make these, these three statements that you should say to yourself when you start to feel discouraged. Statement number one, and again, I wish I would have had all this on the screen, but uh, it just came to me too late in the week to get it there. So let me make the first statement. Number one statement, it's not always going to be like this. It's not always gonna be like this. I think we need to remind ourselves when we are really going through a hard time that it's not always gonna be like this. I know when my mom was going through her chemotherapy and, and we were trying to remind her of that and she was reminding herself of that, it's not always gonna be like this. And I've told you before, I, I, went, I went and bought her a puzzle. She started her chemotherapy in the late spring, early summer. It's gonna last for four months. And so I thought, you know, if I could just help my mom to, to see beyond these four months. And I bought her a puzzle a, of, a, of a beautiful, uh, it was a fall scene and, and it was a, a farm and, and just a farmhouse, real pretty. I said, mom, if you'll just work this puzzle and let it be a reminder that a better season is coming. In fact, I, I, we got her chemotherapy schedule lined out and saw all the dates and I was trying to get that in my mind. I said, I said, mom, by the time the fall gets here, it's all going to be over with. I said, by the time football season starts, it's all, well, she don't, she didn't care about football season, but I, I did. And I, in fact, I even got the schedule. She was going to finish her, her chemo treatment on the, right at the beginning of the season of 2019. And she was supposed to be finished with the worst of it on the first Monday night game of the season. And that year, the Texans were playing at the Saints. I said, Mom, when the Texans go to the Saints, it's all gonna be over with. 
She looked at me like saying, you've lost your mind, John. I don't, I don't, but, but really the more she thought about that, I think she started looking forward to the Texans and the Saints, the Monday night game when it was all going to be over. And so what I'm saying is when we're going through a difficult time, we have to say to ourselves, it's not always going to be like this. It's a better season is coming. Somebody needs to say to you today that what you're going through while disappointed and disappointing and even discouraging, it's not always going to be like it is right now. You believe that? Say amen. Statement number two, we're going to a better place. I wish I could talk about this for a while. We're going to a better place. Have you ever considered this? One of the reasons that God allows us to go through disappointing, difficult, hard times on earth. Well, the main reason for all that is sin, by the way. But why does God allow us to go through bad times on earth? Why has God allowed a pandemic? Why? Well, I don't have the full mind of God, certainly. But, but, I, but I know this, God sometimes allows his children to go through hard times as a reminder to us that, as the old song says, this world is not our home. We're just a passing through, right? I mean, if everything on earth was perfect, why would we ever want to go to heaven? So sometimes God lets us get backed in a corner, and sometimes God lets the circumstances get tough. Why? So that we will have a longing and a yearning for heaven and uh, as the old preacher E.V. Hill used to say, as we look across the earth and we go through this life down here, we need to remember this ain't it. There is more to the story than what we can currently see. And so remind yourself, hey, folks, we're going to a better place. One of the reasons God tells us so much about heaven in the Bible is not just to satisfy our curiosity or to give us a bunch of information. He tells us about heaven in the Bible so that as we go through difficulties in life, we can be reminded that this ain't it, that we are going to a better place. And then the third thing I would say, and I encourage you to say this to yourself, number one, it's not always gonna be like this. A better season is coming. Number two, we're going to a better place. And then number three, in the meantime, everybody say, in the meantime, that's where we're living today in the meantime. We're not in heaven now. It's in the meantime. In the meantime, we have God and we have each other. We have God and we have each other. I mean, we're not alone on the journey. We're not alone on the, on the ra- in the race. We have God and we have each other. And we learned from this what uh, God said to Moses. He said, encourage Joshua. Those two words, encourage him. That tells us that God wants us to be encouraged and that sometimes God uses other people to encourage us. I was thinking late last night, I mean, I was putting myself right where I am right now. And I thought, now God, at the end of this sermon, if I had an illustration about somebody who was going through a tough time and somebody else encouraged them, it sure would make this sermon better. And so something popped in my mind. And so I called a friend on the phone and I asked him about an experience he had had last week. And I said, do you mind if I tell that story tomorrow? He said, no, I wish you would. He said, it's a good story. It's a true story. He said, I think you to give God the glory. Well, here's the background of it, what happened. For the last several months, my brother and his wife and their kids, my niece and nephew, have been planning a trip to the Grand Canyon. 
and on Labor Day weekend. And they, the plan was to hike from the north rim to the south rim in one day, 24 miles. And they invited friends to go with them, some from our church, some from, he had a pastor friend from Kansas City, he invited a friend from Shreveport, they invited from, I don't know who all went on the trip, but, but anyway, there ended up being 18 people that were signed up to go on this trip to hike the Grand Canyon last Sunday from the north rim to the south rim. Well, as the... Uh, Trip got closer, one of the people had to cancel. And so my brother called me and said, John, the trip's already paid for and we've got an opening. He said, would you like to go on this trip? I said, you mean to go from the North Rim to the South Rim in one day? He said, that's right. I said, no, I think I'm washing clothes on that day. I can't make it. <laughs> so I didn't go. I, I actually have done that. I've been to the Grand Canyon and I have hiked from the North Rim to the South Rim, but I took four days like any intelligent person would do to do a thing like that. So I said, no, I don't want to go, but I appreciate it. Well, last Sunday, my heart was with my brother and, and, and Jody and, and my niece and nephew and the other four, the, I think the, maybe the other person ended up going there. But my heart was with all of them and, and I was following along in my mind through the day and I went online, I, I, you know, in the afternoon, Grand Canyon, they had a heat warning. It was going to be 109 degrees in the bottom of the canyon. It was just a tough deal. Well, anyway, Joel and them got out you know, late uh, last Sunday evening, and he called me. He said, hey, man, just want to tell you, we, we made it out. He said, Jody and I did fine. Kids did fine. Had no problem. I said, well, how did everybody else do on the trip? He said, well, he said, you know, you've been out there. And he said, I know you took three weeks to go through that deal. He said, but uh, he said, you know, for those of us, he said, you know, that's a tough deal. And they had trained. I mean, they've been, you know, and, and, and everybody that's on the trip had trained for that. And he said, some of the people really had trouble. I said, how did David Tate do? Some of you might not know David Tate. He's a member of our church. He's a young man who grew up in our church, called into the ministry, 24 years old, works with our students now, attending seminary. David Tate's one of the best Christians I know and, and an incredible athlete, by the way, in phenomenal shape. I said, how did David do? I thought David would have. He said, well, David was doing well, but there came a point down there at the bottom of that canyon where David got in a little bit of trouble. He dehydrated, ran low on water, said it was a scary time. Last night I called David. I said, David, I've been wanting to call you all week, didn't want to bother you. I knew you were getting over that trip. I said, I want to hear from your perspective about that Grand Canyon trip. He said, well, John, I'm going to tell you. He said, a buddy of mine, a guy named Jonathan, who goes to church here as well, he said, we, we were kind of partners on that deal, and, and we started out in that north rim. He said, we were leading the pack. He said, I mean, we were ahead of the pack. He said, for the first 15 miles, no problem in the world. See, when you start on the north side, it's cool. It's almost cold. But when you get down to the bottom of that canyon, those canyon walls suffocate you in. I'm telling you, it is, it is a hot, hot, dangerous place down there. He said, John, at mile 15... I began to dehydrate. He said, I couldn't figure out what was happening to my body, but I had all those feelings that go along with dehydration. And he said, finally, I figured out one of the medications that I had been taking before the trip leads to dehydration. That coupled with the sheer heat and the amount of sweat that you're losing on the trip. He said, but you know, my friend Jonathan stayed with me the whole way. And he said, there were times I just have to get over in the shade and lay down for a while. He said, I, I, at that time, I still had plenty of water. And he said, 
Jonathan just kept encouraging me. He said, David, we're gonna make it. If we need to stop, we need to rest, we'll stop and rest, but I'm not gonna leave you by yourself. We're gonna make it. Well, they kept going. They got up to a place called Indian Springs. If you've ever come out of that canyon on the south side, you know that Indian Springs is four and a half miles from the top of the south rim. At Indian Springs, Jonathan began to run out of water. Well, another friend named Josh came along, said, what's happening here? And they said, we're in a mess. Jonathan said, I'm trying to help David. He's still got a little water. I'm really running low on water. And I think I better make a go for it and try to get out of this canyon while I'm still hydrated. Josh said, you go, get out. So, so uh, Jonathan began the four and a half ascent out of that canyon. Well, as Josh now and David are trying to make it, David is now severely dehydrated. And to make matters worse, now he runs completely out of water. Dangerous. And Josh said, listen, I've got plenty of water and I'm gonna share my water with you. And so for the next four and a half miles, now it was Josh encouraging David, drink some of my water. I'm not gonna leave you. We're gonna make it out together. If we need to rest, we'll rest. But here, I've got water. David didn't have as big a backpack as everybody else had, so he didn't have as much water on reserve as the others had. And so finally, after many, many hours, the two of them, by the grace of God, made it out. I said to David last night, I said, David, what would have happened to you in that canyon had you not had Jonathan and had you not had Josh? And here's what he said to me. He said, John, if I would not have had Jonathan and if I would not have had Josh, there's no way I would have made out of that canyon alive and I would not be talking to you right now. I said, David, that, that story fits my sermon so well. I'm preaching tomorrow about discouragement. And, and, and I want to just say this today. Some of you, you may never have been to the Grand Canyon. Maybe you have. But some of you today say, John, I feel spiritually, mentally, and emotionally dehydrated. Well, I want to say to you today, the good news is, you have God, and you have everybody else in this room who wants to do everything we can to encourage you. Some of you may say, John, I was doing fine, and this mile 15 made it through 9-11, the tragedy that we had, made, have made it through the pandemic a year and a half, but God, John, it just keeps on, it keeps on, it keeps on, it keeps on, and it's built up, and now I'm losing courage, I'm losing confidence, I'm losing faith, and I've lost my enthusiasm. I'm dehydrating. The good news is you are in a place today where you can get some encouragement and where you can drink some heavenly water. Friend, that water is Jesus. And if you've never been saved today, I want to give you an opportunity to be saved. And if you are saved today, I want to say to you today, by the grace of God, you're going to make it. You're not going to die in the bottom of the Grand Canyon because there's too many of us here who are willing to help get you out. Amen.